welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Christ is exactly like God who cannot be seen. He is the firstborn Son, superior to all creation. Everything was created by Him, everything in heaven and on earth, everything seen and unseen, including all forces and powers and all rulers and authorities. All things were created by God's Son, and everything was made for him. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 16 Contemporary English Version So once again I will do things that shock and amaze them, and I will destroy the wisdom of those who claim to know and understand. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 14 Contemporary English Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We sincerely hope you've been with us on our last several episodes of Anchored by Truth. We've been undertaking one of the most challenging series we've ever done on Anchored by Truth. We've called this series The Lord of Logic. Why? Simple. Most people know that to be a Christian, you must exercise faith. But a lot of people don't recognize that the Christian faith is a faith that is firmly grounded in logic, reason, and evidence. The Christian faith does not ask anyone to set aside a careful examination and study of how the created universe operates, nor does it require us to ignore the laws of logic that make reason and science possible. To the contrary, The Christian faith encourages us to bring our minds, as well as our hearts, to the service of our God. So, to help us start to wrap up this series today in studio, we have R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. He's going to begin to summarize all that we have learned in the first eight episodes of this series. We want to find the principles everyone can take and apply in their own Christian walk to more firmly anchor themselves to the inspired truth of God. Artie, would you care to make a few opening remarks? Well, our goal for doing this series was to examine many of the objections that are often raised against the existence of God. You know, so often in today's world, you will hear unbelievers, critics, say things to Christians like, well, you have faith, but I have reason. In other words, they try to juxtaposition the idea that if you have faith, that you must have somehow surrendered the use of your mind and that you cannot have faith in connection with logic and reason. And unfortunately, this is an idea that has become fairly widespread, and it's particularly true in many colleges and universities. Well, not only is the idea incorrect, but frankly, it is very disconcerting for kids who are raised in Christian homes and who are now outside the immediate influence of their families, because a lot of times kids who are raised in strong Christian homes and they encounter this, well, you have faith, but I have reason, false dichotomy, 
lot of times they're not well prepared to deal with this idea. I mean, all too often these Christian kids are not really prepared for the philosophical and the so-called scientific arrows that are going to be flung their way. And as we've mentioned often on Anchored by Truth, a significant percentage of Christian kids who have these encounters once they leave home, their faith won't survive these encounters. Their faith will not remain intact after they have these encounters. They'll hear this idea, again, it's a false dichotomy, they'll hear this idea that faith and reason are somehow opposed to one another. And when they do that, a lot of times they're simply going to say, well, my faith made me feel better, but I want to fit in with the world, and that demands that I accept the validity of logic and reason. Well, the good news is that you can accept the validity of logic and reason and continue to hold to the Christian faith because the Christian faith is a faith that is soundly grounded in evidence, logic, and reason. So there are answers to the challenges that will come not only to our kids, but to our own faith. So it is possible for us to prepare our children, our kids, and ourselves with the intellectual content to enable them to preserve their faith and, in fact, to strengthen it even through these encounters. How would an encounter with a philosophy or objection that is hostile, or at least not friendly, to Christianity strengthen someone's faith? That seems counterintuitive, to say the least. Well, encountering resistance or opposition or even objections to the Christian faith can strengthen your faith in the same way that exercise strengthens muscles. Exercise strengthens muscles by forcing the muscle to overcome the resistance that's applied to them. I mean, one of the issues that confronts the church, especially the church in America today, is that we often believe that our faith is just a matter of faith. Or said slightly differently, many Christians believe that it is possible to have a vibrant Christian faith as long as we're just willing to believe the right things. I mean, a lot of Christians believe, for instance, that faith will take care of itself as long as we keep the faith. So the idea is that as long as we just sort of hold on to the beliefs that we have, the ones that we've invested ourselves in, as long as we just cling tightly to these tenets of our belief that everything's going to be okay. Well, even if that were true for us individually, and I'm afraid that all too often it's not true for people individually, even if that were true for us individually, All around us, our culture is crumbling because while we have confined ourselves to the halls of faith, the devil has been taking over the halls of education and government and entertainment and so-called science. So, said plainly, Christians must begin to equip themselves to compete intellectually in all the arenas of our culture. All truth is God's truth. But truth isn't just communicated through heart learning. It's also communicated through head learning. And of course, that's not to say that heart learning is not exceedingly important. Obviously, it is. We need to have that strong connection with our faith that comes by a deep-seated belief. But too often, Christians find their primary fulfillment for their faith from inspirational songs or saying. And those are fine and wonderful and a great way to help us experience faith. But if that's where you concentrate all your energy and you don't display any interest in being able to explain the informational content of our faith, 
then what happens is people who aren't Christians right now or or who might have the possibility of becoming Christians, when they find out that we can't give intelligent answers to reasonable questions, they frankly just experience disinterest in what we're trying to say. And that perspective that all we have to do is just hang on to our beliefs, that perspective is proving to be deadly for our culture. And unfortunately, the evidence of that is all around us. Now, we're not saying that any Christian should try to grow their faith by getting into arguments and then seeing how well they do. The Christian faith is about building relationships, not winning arguments. But what we are saying is that, especially for younger believers, they need to be exposed to the objections and challenges to the Christian faith that will come their way. This needs to be done in an age-appropriate way. Younger children first need to learn the content of what we believe. But as children grow and mature, they need to be exposed, again, in an age-appropriate and healthy way, to different points of view. But it's not enough to just expose them to the other point of view. They must be taught about how to judge reasonably between the competing truth claims. We open our shows with what Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't just say that he knew the truth. He said he was the truth. As our opening scripture from Colossians points out, Jesus can make this claim that he is the truth because he made everything, absolutely everything. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Jesus made reality, all reality. So Christians don't have anything to fear in any genuine pursuit of the truth. Exactly. We need to be sure that the quality of faith that we hold in our hearts is matched by the quality of spiritual fact and other facts that we hold in our heads. Proverbs 22.6, it's a very well-known verse. In the English Standard Version, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, of course, part of the training our children need is to know that God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus is his Son and that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Our kids need to know all those things. So part of that verse is to teach our kids the essential tenets of the Christian faith. But I don't think that that's all it means. It also means teaching our kids to be able to think reasonably, to teach our kids to be able to use logic, reason, and evidence as they navigate their way through the world Because if they are not able to do so, if we don't train them up early in the use of knowledge, reason, and evidence, kids, well, and all Christians for that matter, are not going to be able to sort effectively among competing truth claims. And today we are all barraged continuously by competing truth claims. So our kids in our homes not only need to have some awareness of the competing truth claims that are going to come their way, but they need to have a solid grounding in how to analyze those claims. And if nothing else, they need to have a solid grounding in how to sort among competing truth claims because we're not ever going to be able to give our kids all the competing truth claims that they're going to encounter. So they need to have a way of being able to sort through those claims so they won't be deceived when they run across new or novel truth claims. And that's why we started this Lord of Logic series with Thinking About Thinking. We wanted to remind our listeners that just because a spiritual or philosophical claim sounds reasonable doesn't mean that it passes intellectual muster. And we used the example of the statement, quote, there is no such thing as absolute truth, unquote. 
Surveys indicate that about 50% of the people who hear that statement, including many self-identified Christians, will agree with it. But the statement is self-defeating. If there's no such thing as absolute truth, then the statement itself could not be true. In other words, if the statement was true, it would be false. So that statement is a classic example of a premise that initially sounds profound, but is really profoundly false. Right. And that statement is not alone in being a premise that is self-defeating. The statement, we can never be sure that we can know anything with certainty, cannot itself be known with certainty. We also pointed out in our Thinking About Thinking episodes that just as some premises are self-defeating, others are affirmed in the dissent. That is, you must acknowledge the truth of the premise in any purported denial. For instance, you cannot disagree with the statement, human beings use language to communicate without using some form of language, even if you just said no. Right. So, any listeners who want to hear the entire discussion about thinking about thinking, they can just review the first three episodes of this Lord of Logic series. And those episodes are available on pretty much all of the major podcasting apps, and we'll post them in a little bit on our own website. Well, after we began this series by thinking about thinking, then we asked the help of Doug Apple to be able to tackle five of the most common objections that are raised against the existence of God. And Doug did a great job of helping us dissect those objections. And Doug showed us that when those objections were carefully analyzed, none of those objections passed intellectual muster. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Doug, he's a great guy, an absolutely serious and profound student of the Bible, and he has a real passion in his heart for helping Christians experience the fullness of their faith and growing to maturity in their faith. And Doug, of course, is the manager of the Wave 94 radio station in Tallahassee. So let's remind everyone that the objections we tackled were, first, that since we can't see or hear or touch God, we can't be sure that God actually exists. Second, that even if God did exist, he would be so different from us that we could never be sure of his existence. In other words, even a God that did exist would be unknowable to human beings. Third, that there are so many different concepts about God that exist around the world that even if God does exist, we could never be sure of anything about him. Fourth, that the existence of evil in the world means that if God does exist, God can't be both all good and all powerful. An all-good God wouldn't want evil to exist, and an all-powerful God could prevent its existence. So since evil does exist, God either doesn't exist at all, or isn't all-good and all-powerful if he does exist. This would rule out the God of the Bible. And finally, fifth, the only reason people believe in God, any God, is because they need a psychological crutch to make life bearable. They need an explanation for things they don't understand, so they invent God to be that explanation. Right. So today I want to take a look at the elements that all those objections to God have in common, or at least I want to begin to take a look at all the elements that those objections to God have in common, and point out that while each objection fails individually, there are some common failures as well. So again, this points to the way that we can begin to look at all of the challenges that are raised against the Christian faith and the truth that it contains. So, where do you want to start? Well, first of all, let's point out that all of these objections, all five of the objections that you and Doug considered individually, 
all start with an empirical observation, and then they try to draw a reasoned inference from that empirical observation. Now, of course, it's well known that if you start with a valid fact, a specific truth, if you will, and then if you use a valid reasoning process, well, the combination of a valid observation with a valid reasoning process will always produce a valid conclusion. So if all the objections that you and Doug analyzed start with a valid empirical observation, then the error to the ultimate conclusion must lie in the reasoning process that follows. Today, at least we want to start to see where those reasoning processes break down. Sounds good. So what are the empirical observations that underlie the various objections? Well, the empirical observation behind the objection that since we can't see or hear or touch God, so we have no evidence that God exists, the valid empirical observation is that we can derive sensory information from the world around us and that that sensory information is meaningful to our lives and understanding. I don't think many people would disagree with this observation. Now, the empirical observation behind the second objection is that human beings are finite beings that exist in a physical world, whereas most conception of God see God as being at least supernatural, if not infinite, and that God lacks a physical or corporeal presence. Now, the empirical observation behind the third objection is self-evident. I mean, anyone who has even done a casual look at the world's religions knows that there are all different kinds of concepts about God that exist. Or gods. Some religions believe there are many gods. Others that there is only one God. Some religions believe God may have created everything, but then left the creation to sort of run along on its own. The Christian faith views God as a Trinitarian God. There is one God who exists eternally as three persons or subsistences. Islam does not agree with the doctrine of the Trinity. So as you said, the validity of the empirical observation behind the third objection is fairly evident. Yes. Now the empirical observation behind the fourth objection is just as self-evident, that there is evil in the world. And the empirical observation behind the objection of God as psychological crutch is simply that human beings are both curious and emotional creatures. Humans, people, us, we like to have explanations for the phenomena that we experience. And human beings are capable of feeling both hope and despair, sadness and satisfaction, desperation and elation. So the empirical observation behind the final objection you and Doug looked at, God is psychological crutch, is quite simply that human beings are both curious creatures and emotional creatures. That's pretty obvious. Then as you've said, there really isn't much, if anything, that is debatable about the empirical observations that underlie the various objections. So, it's not the empirical observations that are the problem. That means the failure of each of the objections lies not with the observation, but with what the objector does with the observation. Exactly right. Thank you. So let's see where the logical errors creep in. And let's start with the first objection. That objection, of course, is that if we can't see or hear or touch God, we don't have any good evidence that God exists. Now, this objection rests on the premise that the only way that we can derive true knowledge is through sensory perception. But when you think about it, sensory perception does not confirm and cannot confirm the premise itself. 
We can't see or hear or touch the idea that we can only derive truth from sensory perception. So in other words, the idea that the only way that we can gain true knowledge is through sensory perception, that idea itself cannot be confirmed by sensory perception. What you're saying is, is that the premise that we can only derive true knowledge through sensory perception is self-defeating, like many of the examples we've talked about when we were thinking about thinking. But what if someone agrees with the idea that we can gain true knowledge through processes other than sensory perception, but claims that still does not mean that there is another process that demonstrates God's existence? Well, then it would be up to that person, that objector, to rebut the many different proofs that are used to demonstrate the existence of God. Christians don't just assert that God exists and then demand that everyone accept our assertion. Down through the ages, Christians have offered a wide variety of evidentiary-based arguments to demonstrate that empirical observations of the universe, coupled with logic, lead us to the conclusion that God not only does exist, but must exist. And I would add that you can use that same process of applying logic and reason to evidence to demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Now, the proofs that have been offered down through church history have included proofs such as the cosmological, ontological, theological, moral, or historical proofs, and I'm not even sure that that's an exhaustive list. Well, obviously, we don't have time today to go into what each of these proofs entail, but each of these proofs is an affirmative way of demonstrating that there is a large body of empirical observation backed by sound reasoning that shows us that some kind of a God must exist. Now, I want you to note that I've been talking about proof, not persuasion. R.C. Sproul used to note frequently that he could prove that God existed, but he could not persuade anyone that God existed. Proving that God exists is just a matter of working with the evidence, the logic, and the reason to arrive at a valid conclusion, but persuasion involves changing someone else's mind or heart. And that's a very important distinction. The Bible calls for Christians to be able to provide a reason for the hope that we possess. But nowhere does the Bible tell us that we have a role in changing someone else's heart or mind. So where does the reasoning process break down for the second objection? That if God did exist, he would be so different from human beings that he would be unknowable. Now this objection depends on the premise that it's not possible for me, it's not possible for human beings, to know something truly unless I know it exhaustively. But this premise is self-evidently false. If that premise were true, it would destroy the whole basis for education and scientific exploration. There will probably never be any subject that human beings know exhaustively. But just because we can't know something exhaustively doesn't mean that we can't know some things truly and that as we grow in our understanding, we can possess all along the way valid, useful, and truthful knowledge, even if that knowledge is partial, not exhaustive. As you say, The whole basis of any field of human endeavor is that we take what we know as a starting point and then go from there to increase and advance our understanding. We watched birds before we flew. We flew airplanes a few hundred feet before crossing oceans with them. We launched satellites into orbit before we launched people. We launched people into orbit before we sent them to the moon. 
no one expects their child in first grade to comprehend subjects as well as their college graduate. But they also don't throw up their hands and declare that just because they're still learning their letters, they won't be able to write a master's thesis. Right. Moreover, the objection that God is unknowable contains the unspoken assertion that the objector possesses a comprehensive understanding of what every person in the world does know or can know. And again, that kind of an assertion is self-evidently false. It's also self-defeating. The objector starts out by saying that a finite man cannot truly comprehend an infinite God while then simultaneously claiming that they possess an exhaustive, godlike knowledge of not only what every person in the world does know, but what it is possible for every person in the world to know. So at a minimum, the objector is claiming that it is impossible for human beings to know anything truly about God, while claiming that they possess knowledge that is godlike. That comes perilously close to duplicating what happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan promised Eve that if she ate of the forbidden fruit, she would become like God. Yes. So that addresses the problem with the second objection. Well, in our next series of Anchored by Truth, we'll pick up with our review of the last three objections about the existence of God, as we do think many people will be able to see that Jesus really is the Lord of Logic. This sounds like a great time to go to the Lord in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for our nation. And let's remember always to pray regularly for our nation and communities. We have all endured some trying times recently, but the Bible tells us that, quote, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, unquote. The Bible assures that God hears and responds to the sincere prayers of his faithful children. A prayer for the nation. Almighty and sovereign Father, you are the one true and perfect ruler of all that is and all that ever will be. The stars move at your command and the cosmos stretches out by the works of your hands. If the heavens themselves and all they contain are ruled by you, then how much more are the nations of men subject to your eternal reign? Lord, we come to you today to pray for our nation, the United States of America. In our Pledge of Allegiance, we pledge that this is one nation under God. May it truly be so. May our people recognize that we owe our existence to you and that you are the rightful master of this nation and indeed all creation. Nations rise and fall at your command for you ordain and govern all the affairs of this world. We pray, Lord, that this nation might find favor in your sight as we turn and look to you. We know that there is much about our nation and people today that does not please you and does not conform to your will. Forgive us for this, mighty Lord. In too many ways we have wandered from the truths upon which we were founded. We repent of our wanderings, and especially the part we have played in them. We have too often lost sight that we will all be held accountable to you, and this has led to foolish pride and unwise presumption. Bring us to a renewed sense of your holiness and justice, and help us to rebuke our failings. 
Help us to humble ourselves so that we may begin again to walk straight paths as we depend on you. Lord, there are many other nations and groups in this world that would seek our harm and even our devastation. Even now, many conspire against us. We pray that you would not allow them to succeed. Do not let our stumbles become an occasion for their joy. We pray that you would confound them in their efforts to cause us harm and injury. We do not ask this on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of your mercy. Do not let them become proud by granting them a victory as we struggle for restoration. Lord, give wisdom and instruction to our leaders at all levels, both civilian and military. Turn their hearts to you and bring them into direct contact with your transforming character. Remind them that they are your stewards and that all their authority comes only from you. Let the name of your Son be lifted up in our hearts as we rejoice in the restoration and salvation he brought. We glory in hope in his name, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.